Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6, we will read the whole chapter. In those days when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and the large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen A man full of God's grace and power did great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene and Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. These men began to argue with Stephen, but they could not stand up against his wisdom or the spirit of whom he spoke. Then they secretly persuaded some men, We have heard Stephen speak words of blasphemy against Moses and against God. They stirred up the people and the elders and the teachers of the law. They seized Stephen and brought him before the Sanhedrin. They produced false witnesses who testified This fellow never stops speaking against this holy place and against the law, for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs of Moses handed down to us. All who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his face was like the face of an angel. We'll be hovering around this chapter for a few Sundays. We began last week. We'll continue this morning. It's either taking these things in small bites or just let me preach all afternoon. I hear no one chuckling. But before we begin, let me pray. Lord in heaven, we ask for your blessing and your help. As we look at just a few points from your word this morning, help us to apply them to our hearts. Help us live obedient to the principles in our lives. Lord, we do long to give you glory, not just with our words, but with our strength, with our minds, 
with our lives. Lord, we do need refreshed hearts, renewed spirits. We need revival. Help us to find it in your word and through your spirit. It is for the glory of our Savior we pray these things. Amen. It is a very old illustration, and there are lengthy poems written about this, but I'm going to use the brief one this morning, and many of you have heard it. A little story about four people named Everybody, Somebody, Anybody, and Nobody. There was an important job to be done, and everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody did it. Somebody got angry about about that because it was everybody's job. And everybody thought that anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it. It ended up that everybody blamed somebody, and nobody did what anybody could have done. It's simple, but profound. Do I need to read it again? Very brief application. The amazing thing about the early church, as it is recorded in Acts, it seemed to be very fruitful, very productive, because as we've already seen in our study, everyone was of one mind, one heart, one devotion, one love for the Lord Jesus. Everybody was participating. Everybody was doing what needed to be done to minister and promote and present the gospel. Big difference between the church then and the church today. We want to look this morning at the example of these deacons that were chosen to take care of the daily mundane tasks, to oversee or administrate the task of taking care of the widows and the orphans and those who were in need. The example of these men chosen, the lesson that these deacons demonstrate, and the message that Steve and Phil proclaim. Very simple points, but we need to look at them. Sometimes we look at it and we, see, we focus in on the exciting parts. So people were getting saved, the gospel was being preached, and then we forget about Noticing the resistance. What we are looking at here in this account from Luke and the gospel in the book of the Acts is that Peter began as a primary preacher in the early church, powerful, bold, fearless, focused on the message, preaching in the ministry toward the Jewish church, or the Hebrews, the people of Israel, the people of Jerusalem. And you remember from last week, a problem came up in Jerusalem that the widows of the dispersia, or or diaspora, the Greeks, those who were born of Hebrew descent, but lived outside of Israel, outside of Jerusalem, were not included in the distribution of the poor. Because we could probably say that some of their synagogue members had become some of these everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody kind of people. They had needs there, but they 
were not so close to Jerusalem and the practices of the temple that they remembered that that was part of their ministry, to take care of their own. So they saw how efficiently the Jerusalem people were taking care of their own and said, hey, why can't, why can't we have some of that? And the apostle said, choose seven men for the task. So we see the example of the men chosen. Did you notice the name? Names? Stephen, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas. These are not Hebrew names. Greek Hebrews were chosen to take care of Greek people. I mean, they were Hebrew born by race, but they were not Hebrews as citizens of Israel or Jerusalem. So there was some wisdom in choosing these men to take care of their own. And there was one more, Nicholas from Antioch, who was a convert to to Judaism. He was converted to be a Hebrew and then apparently accepted Christ as his Messiah. He was also a Christian. No one was called a Christian at this time. But he was a Messianic Jew by conversion. So you see this blending of men who were chosen to serve the church as deacons, as servants. They were all of the faith of Abraham. Just as we are all of the faith of Abraham. One of the things that we teach and we see in Scripture, the Scripture, I believe, presents to us very clearly, that all those who are born Jews are not true Jews. All those who are born of Abraham are not truly Abraham. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3 says, He who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. I hope there are no racists here that are so would be so bothered to understand that spiritually we're children of Abraham. He is, in a very real sense, a spiritual father to us all. Because we believe the word of God just as Abraham did. That connects us to Christ, for through Abraham's seed Christ came. So these deacons who were chosen may have been born of Abraham's seed, but they were living outside Jerusalem and outside of Israel. But they were also born of faith. Today we would say they were saved by Christ the Messiah and faith in Him. 
why would these points matter? Quite simply, they matter because the gospel is meant for the whole world, not just for those born of Hebrew or natural birth. The Hebrews were charged first with the task of sharing the good news, but the good news was always meant for all people. Isaiah chapter 2 verse 2 says, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. What do you think God was talking about when he spoke through the prophet? All nations shall flow to the mountain of God. The gospel was always meant for the whole world. Again on Isaiah 11, he will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. All nations shall flow to the mountain of God. We need to see here very clearly, in order for the gospel to be proclaimed with power, the ministry of the word must be the spear point, the vanguard, the front line of offense. The preaching and the teaching of the word must take lead always in the ministry of every local church. Not just ministry to the poor. Preaching and teaching of the word must be the peer point, the spear point of every ministry. The truth must be proclaimed. So the lesson that deacons demonstrate, there is the filling of the Holy Spirit of every believer. It was quite unique for these men, particularly Stephen. Stephen is focused on because he is one of the first to transition from the full ministry to the Jewish nation, to the ministry of the world. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip. When I say that we, every believer has the Spirit of God, I know it's hard for you to understand. It's hard for me to understand too. But we have the same Holy Spirit within us. I'm sorry, preacher, I just don't feel it. Stop trusting in your feelings, Luke. Trust the Word of God. Trust the Word of God. Your feelings will deceive you. The Apostle Paul, again in Ephesians Chapter 1 said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. What do you think he meant when he said he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing? Every spiritual blessing. His presence through the Holy Spirit is with us. It's with you. Again, Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 19. You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and the 
citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit of every believer is demonstrated by the filling of the Holy Spirit in these deacons. It is a fulfillment of prophecy. Luke is recording in this account of the book of Acts that the apostles, that there is a transition from the message of the gospel of Israel to the message for the gospel of the world, or gospel for the world. We're going to see that there is a transition from focus on Peter as a principal preacher to the Jews to Paul, the evangelist to the Gentiles. And two Greek-born Hebrews are principal preachers for a while. We don't hear a whole lot about them. We hear about Stephen, and we'll talk about him a little bit more next week. But then there's also Philip, who is called a witness to the Ethiopian eunuch. Very unique transition, very strategic way to tell a story, to present us with Paul's conversion. Verse 5 in our text, they chose Stephen, a man full of faith, of the end of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Temen, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Notice that Luke doesn't talk about how well these deacons deaconed. They were chosen to administrate over the ministry of serving, but he doesn't focus on that. He emphasizes the fact that the gospel was preached and the church grew. There's your focus. That's the point lead that every church should be involved in, including you. You should understand that's the focus of Countryside Presbyterian Church. And anything and everything you can do in the ministry of this church and taking care of this campus and ministering to other people will free your pastor and elders to present the gospel. And will also equip you to, in your daily conversations with people around you, to present the gospel. Every believer might not be called or gifted to preach or teach But every believer is called to serve. Sometimes I wonder if people don't feel very spirit-filled because they don't have a whole lot of confidence. They're kind of shy and they don't have any experience with ministry, doing things for the church or around the church. 
And so they go home on Sunday and they kind of, oh, okay, that was wonderful. I was encouraged. That just charged my battery until next Sunday. I'll go to church again then. We need to get it out of our heads. We don't go to church. We are the church. And we are called to gather together. Do not forsake it. You have a responsibility to respond to the Lord who saved you. Every believer is called to serve. If there is something that needs to be done, do it. You don't have to ask permission. We see that the filling of the Holy Spirit in every believer is the fulfillment of prophecy, not just from ancient Jerusalem, but for you, in order that you might serve God with power. But you also need to be aware, and I have told you before, and we see it here in Scripture, That even though we might be filled with power, we understand, and I believe I've devoted a whole message to this before, faithful preaching always gets results. Oh, I like that preacher. Faithful preaching always gets results. There is good results, acceptance. Ministry of the Word bears fruit. People repent, get saved, follow the Lord Jesus, join the church. The church grows. That's always encouraging kind of result. There is resistance. Faithful preaching will always produce. And we see it here in the text. In verse 10 Well, let me start in verse 9. Opposition arose, however, from members of the synagogues of the freedmen, as it was called, Jews of Cyrene, Alexandria, as well as the provinces of Cilicia and Asia. In other words, Jews who are also Greek-born. I mean, Hebrews outside of Jerusalem, outside of Israel. Probably from some of the neighborhoods where these deacons lived did not appreciate what they were preaching. In verse 10 it says, They could not stand up against the wisdom or the spirit by whom he spoke. They were preaching with power, and these those who resisted could not present any argument against them. So they started making up lies. They started provoking people to give false witness in order that they might get a conviction and get these men shut up. We've heard about third world countries, communist countries that is resistant to the gospel. We've heard about martyrs being made. Recently, people dying because they are faithful to the Lord Jesus. 
And we're just beginning to see some resistance in our own land. Let's see if we can get the churches to shut down. Let's threaten them with lawsuits. Let's threaten them with violations and fines if they hold services in person. Resistance produces, or excuse me, faithful preaching produces resistance. As we get to the time closer and closer to our Lord's second coming, this is going to increase. We have seen resistance in our study in the book of Acts. We saw it with Peter and John's preaching. We're seeing it with Stephen and Philip's preaching. We're seeing it in our own day and our own time. And we will continue to see resistance. Expect it. We must not let it stop us from preaching the word of God. So we see acceptance. We always enjoy seeing that. We rejoice and sing gladly over that. We should also, in one sense, be glad to see resistance. Our text even says, as Stephen was facing trial in the middle of this resistance, he had the face of an angel, suggesting that it was shining like Moses' face shone when he came down from Mount Sinai. Usually, for the 21st century Christian, when they see resistance, they shut up. I remember growing up, a little Sunday school song. I was taught well then what it meant. But it seems today that this little song has kind of been neutralized in our understanding. Everybody's using it for little children. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. We were always taught that that's the light of the Lord in the heart of a believer, and you're supposed to let it shine. But we're teaching our children these days, this little light of mine is my, my self-esteem. I'm going to let my pride shine. But there's a second verse we learned that kind of helps us with that. Won't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. You don't hear that sung by the unbelievers. So we see acceptance, we see resistance. We need to let our light shine with power, with fearlessness, with courage, with boldness, with faithfulness. We see acceptance, we see resistance, we see indifference. Indifference. Some people will be hostile. Some people will not be hostile. Some people will just not care. And I see them frequently. That's your opinion. They might be good neighbors. They just don't respond at all. 
They might be, sometimes they might be your fellow church members. The preacher gives a rousing sermon and it has no effect. When there is a need in the church, when there is a call of God that is clear and evident, but very little response, it's indifference. It doesn't have to be attributed to those who do not respond to the gospel. It can also be to those who hear the gospel within the church and are here every Sunday and don't respond. Revelation chapter 3, particularly talking about the church at Laodicea. To the angel of the Lord, church of, the, of Laodicea write, These things, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of creation of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot. You were cold or hot, so that because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Some people take that to mean that, well, if I can't be hot for the Lord, then I can be cold and that'll be okay. It's just the lukewarm ones that God doesn't like. No. No. Once you understand the context of this illustration, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John was given these cities to compare to Laodicea. Heropolis, they were, it was well known then, Heropolis to the north of Laodicea had the benefit of some hot springs. People would go there for health reasons. They would soak in them. We've all heard about places like that. You can go, go and get soak in them and the minerals are supposed to keep you well and healthy and strong. Colossae to the southeast had a source of fresh, cool water. So we've got a city with hot springs to the north, a city with cold springs to the south. Here's Laodicea, right in the middle. The Lord is telling them, you are neither hot nor cold. You are far from the source. You are far from my spirit. You are far from my throne. You are far from my word. He said, I'm sick of it. That's the point he is making. The indifferent church, the indifferent Christian, needs to repent. Isaiah 29, the Lord said through the prophet, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. God said, your heart is far from me. Repent. It's wonderful when we preach the word and present the gospel and people respond fervently, eagerly, enthusiastically, with joy in their hearts, with gladness. And you can see the burden of sin fall from their lives. We might even be able to say, Hallelujah, that... Made that person mad. The word is like a thorn in his 
in his side, working on his heart. It may produce fruit one day. It's just going to bother him and eat him until he repents it. That's what we could be praying for. When someone doesn't like it, it's bothering them so much. I kind of like the illustration about the man who was an atheist. Ooh, I don't believe in God and I hate him so much. You hate who? Him? But he doesn't exist. The Holy Spirit is working on that proud heart. So we can even rejoice when we see resistance. The seed has been planted. And with the work of the Holy Spirit nurturing it, it can produce fruit. It's the indifferent heart. It is the indifferent heart. We don't want to get to this place where we are either everybody, anybody, somebody, or nobody, because nothing gets done. We as Christians want to take the example of these deacons being faithful to minister, to preach and to teach, to share the word of God. Because I will tell you one thing right now. Those who are resistant and never repent, and those who are indifferent and never repent, the Bible seems to be pretty clear that they will face the same judgment. And that could be a fearful thing for a Christian who professes to believe and yet does not respond in kind. Some of you may be familiar with this short word, a man by the name of Wilbur Rees, three dollars worth of God. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough God to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not the new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. If you're anywhere near that attitude, I pray that you wake up because God has not taken hold of your life yet. And He needs to. Let Him. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we are thankful for your word and its power and its truth. Help us, Lord Jesus. We need to be filled with your Spirit. Help us to repent of indifference, of fear, of doubt, 
of insecurity. Help us to trust You fully, completely. The teaching of Your Word and its truth. Help us to rely upon it because very soon, even in our America, we may need it more than anything else. May your word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, convict each and every one of us. May we find, as we repent, the grace and the mercy in Christ that we all desperately need. It is for his name we pray. Amen.